Hey, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. If you want more information about the church, go to www.clovishills.com or you can download our app in your iTunes or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast. Have you ever been misinterpreted before? Like you said something and they, they just, they, they got the wrong thing out of it. That's my every week, so, so you know. But, um, and all the husbands in, in the house said an amen too as well. We, we get that. I was playing golf with Pastor Scott and Dave Cameron and another guy uh, a while back last year. And I, Dave Cameron was with me and Pastor Scott was further back getting his ball. And I'm talking to this guy and Dave Cameron goes, coming in hot. And I like looked at him and I kept talking. He goes, coming in hot, coming in hot, coming in hot. got hit with a golf ball right in the thigh, like full speed. Boom! Pastor Scott drilled me with a golf ball. Now here's the thing. In golf, when a ball is coming at you, you yell, not coming in hot. What is that? So, so you know, I misinterpreted what he meant. He said the wrong thing, the turkey, but it, that's how communication works, though. Sometimes what you hear is not what they meant. Sometimes what they meant is not what you heard. And, um, you know, last week, Pastor Steve did a brilliant job as we're going through the um, Sermon on the Mount. And he talked about um, anger. And, you know, in, in that passage, Jesus said, you've heard it said before, you shall not murder. He was quoting, right, the Ten Commandments. He goes, but I say to you, if, if, you, if you hate your brother or you um, say raka to him, which I did not know raka was an Aramaic cuss word. Way to go, man. I remember I put that in my vernacular now while I'm driving. Raka! I'm kidding. I don't do that. That's sin. But here, here's the thing. Um, the verse, the, the passage right before that, he actually had the scripture reader read as well just to give some context to it. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but, you know, and I have to come to three services because I work here, and I listen to and preach three times. And in one of the services, as I was listening to the scripture reader, I apologize, brother, but I didn't listen to the rest of the sermon because it sent me somewhere. I started searching that scripture and figuring out what it was, pulled out my smartphone, started Googling things, and, you know, read. I started, I had, oh, my gosh, God is showing me something. So I spent the whole week, uh, I had a whole nother sermon planned, and I ditched it because I said, oh, I think this is, this is where, God, you're, you're, you're asking us to go to, to kind of wrap a bow around this series on the Sermon on the Mount. The truth of the matter is, we could preach on the Sermon on the Mount for a year, two years, three years, and never fully get through it right. So we'll come back to the Sermon on the Mount, but I'm going to wrap a bow around it today. And it kind of culminates with this past, this short little passage, three verses, Matthew 5, 17 through 20. My friend Darylin, she's going to come out and she's going to read from the word of the Lord. And I would love it if you could rise to your feet in honor of the word of the Lord, if you can. And let's read it together. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, 
you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So if you have your outline, you want to fill in the blank. Number one is this, and it's an obvious statement, but it needs to be said. Number one is the Bible is the word of God. You have to understand that. Jesus believed it was the word of God. And if Jesus is who he said he was, he is who we believe he, he is, then it must be the word of God. Every bit of it. See, Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus exuded God's word everywhere. He was always speaking it. It was always coming out of him. Even in, you know, you can tell a lot about a person. In their, in their worst moments. And Jesus, in his dying moment, on the cross, he's hanging there. He quotes Psalm 119. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was always quoting scripture. And if Jesus thought it was God's word, then odds are it's God's word. You, you can't think that, well, some of it might be God's word. And um, some of it might just be kind of random stuff that's put in there. Every bit of it comes from God. Look what Jesus said in, in verse 18 of this passage. He says, for truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So what Jesus is trying to get across is that you don't get to pick and choose what part of the Bible is from God and what part isn't. That's almost like, you know, if it's true, then it's true. If it's not true, it's not true. That's... It would almost be like if, if you decided, well, you know, I like some of the laws of physics, but some of the other laws of physics, they don't really apply to me. Like, how many of you believe in the law of gravity right now? Show of hands. Anyone here not believe in the law of gravity? God bless you, sister. <laughs> Wait till you get over 40. Um, <laughs> I turned 45 this week, trust me. Gravity's at work. <laughs> So here's the deal. Obviously, gravity is a law. It is something that is real. It is some, you can't just choose to say, well, I don't believe in gravity. Because the truth of the matter is, you cannot believe in gravity, but gravity is what's holding you on this earth. And you can say, I don't believe the Bible is God's word. You can say that all you want. You can believe that all you want. But if it is, then you're wrong, is, is, is how it goes. And, 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 and if it isn't, I'm wrong. And that's fine. And Jesus was wrong as well. But the Bible is God's word. And, you know, we live in a culture. Um, it, it's interesting. I don't know if you know this. Every culture has a problem with the Bible one way or another. And w cultures are different. You know, we always think like, because our culture has historically over the last 50 years kind of drifted away from Scripture, from believing in Scripture, from its validity, from its uh, place in everyday life. And, and it's, 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 our culture's been drifting away. And the question I always ask is, well, how's that working for us? Hmm. So here's the thing, though. Every culture has a problem to one degree or another with Scripture because it's God's Word and it's true, and every culture is flawed. In America, in 21st century America, if I get up here and I preach a message on grace and love and God's love, you know what happens? You guys go, oh, pastor, that was an amazing sermon. I loved it. It was so great. I get all kinds of great little notes in the offering. Oh, so good, so good. If I get up and I preach a message on um, the sexual ethics of the Bible or giving or anything like that, all of a sudden everyone's like, hmm, I don't know if I really like that one. I don't believe that one's from God. 
We do it all the time. Let's be, I mean, if we're really honest. But we're no different. If you go to another culture, if you go to Arab culture, right, and you preach a message on um, grace and forgiveness, they, you know, they would listen to that and they'd be like, that's crazy. If, a brother, if someone slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek, no way. Forgive, love your enemies, no way. That's, that is ridiculous, is what they would say. But then you got up and you, 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 you did a message and you preached from God's word on the sexual ethics of the Bible. In Arab culture, they go, hey, that's not bad. A little soft, but not bad. See, in every culture is like that. Every culture has a, a problem with the Bible. But, but here's what I want you to know. It's not that the culture is right. It's the Bible is right. And see, sometimes you have to stop taking the Bible and shaping it to your needs and shape your life around what God has said. I had a, a friend last service. He told me about, I, need, I probably need to read it because it's, he gave me this little note. It was an encouraging one, don't worry. <laughs> and he said, you know, they're, they're talking about a, a new version. I mean, we have like 120 something uh, English translations of the Bible, which is a good thing. We'll get into that another day. Um, but it's a new version, electronic version of the Bible coming out that's um, editable. So it doesn't matter what you believe because you can delete the parts you don't like. The, the pr- pro's name for it is the Locally Adaptable Multi-Faith um, Edition. The Locally Adaptable Multi-Faith Edition. The acrostic is lame. Because that's what it, it ends up taking the pow- God's power out of it when you just make it to fit what you want and not what God is trying to tell you. So the Bible is God's word. Number two is this, if you have your outline. Guys, Jesus Christ himself is the point of God's word. He's the point of this whole book is what I want you to understand. See, it says in um, verse 17, he says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Let me explain to you what, what, what he's talking about. See, this book, the Bible, is not just an answer book. It's not a textbook. It's not a, I've got a problem, give me a verse. But it's not really meant to, to be that kind of thing. Although sometimes you can find comfort in a verse or something like that. But really what the Bible is, is it is the story of God. It's, it's God telling us how he made this special creation called human beings that were made in his image, in his shadow, in the shadow of his likeness, right? He made every one of us as a special creation. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you're special. You're special, you are. But here's the problem. You and I, human beings, invited sin into this world. And when we invited sin into this world, we got all kinds of pain and evil and sickness, and, and it's, it's run rampant upon the planet. And you, you can see that. If you don't believe in God, you, you can at least look around the planet and see that there's all kinds of evil going on. Uh, we saw some happen again in London, right? So, so I, I want you to, 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 to get the, the depth of this. God made this special creation. When we invited sin into this world, it separated every one of us from a relationship with him. We were made to live in relationship with God forever, to be in community with God forever. But that sin separated us. So then God, this book is the story of this, God decided to redeem all of us, to buy us back, to get us back. And he started with one guy. His name was Abraham. Abraham, Father Abraham, he had many sons, and I am one of them, and so are you, so let's keep marching on, right? So Abraham, he told Abraham, listen, through you, 
I'm going to bless the whole world through one of your children. The whole world is going to be blessed. And, and, and the whole book, the whole Bible culminates with one of Abraham's sons, a guy, not just a guy, a God named Jesus Christ who came and lived a perfect life died, was resurrected, and is coming back to undo all the sin that's held us captive. I want you to think about that. That's what this book is about. And every verse, every letter of it, at one way or another, is pointing to Jesus Christ. See, he said, don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. See, when Jesus read the Bible, his Bible was different than ours. I want you to understand that. Um, when he would read the Bible, he was Jewish, right? And he had, he had not died and resurrected yet, so he didn't have the New Testament. He just had the Old Testament. And the first five books of the Bible are, is, is called the law. The, Jesus would have called that the law, right? Um, theologians always think of some crazy word to name it instead of what simple, the law. Theologians call it the Pentateuch. Everyone say the Pentateuch. Stupid. You don't ever have to know that word again, Okay. We theologians think of all kinds of ridiculous words. Super lapsarianism. Shut up. Okay, so anyways. So, you had the Pentateuch, or the, the law, the first five books, and then you had the prophets. See, and, and God gave the law to who? The Jews, right? He gave it to the Jewish people, Abraham's children. So, so I need you, I need you to, to picture this. Jesus... You know, because people ask this all the time. They'll say, hey, how come um, you Christians, you only believe in certain parts of the Bible? There's things in the Old Testament you don't go by. How come you guys eat pork? Can I get an amen for pork? Okay, um, how come you guys wear, um, you know, the, the Bible says in the Old Testament that, you know, you're not supposed to wear uh, fabric made with mixed uh, different types of fabric, like cotton and polyester, all that together. Um, you know, you're not supposed to eat certain foods, and you're supposed to, you know, how come you don't wear a yarmulke? How come you don't do this? How come you don't do that? You don't believe the whole Bible, but you say the whole Bible is God's word. And you hear that all the time. As a matter of fact, um, some people will say, well, how come you Christians, you know, you believe this sexual sin is wrong, but um, it says in the Old Testament that if your kids are insolent, you should stone them. How come you're not stoning your children? Let me tell you why, okay? I'm going to tell you why today. Here's the deal. So God gives the law to a guy named Moses, right? Moses, a Jew, goes up on Mount Sinai. He gets the law. He brings it to the 12 tribes of Israel. So who's the law written to? Jews, right? They're written to Abraham's kids. Okay, they're written to them. And he gives them these laws for a reason. There's several reasons. Some are, they're, um, they're, they're kosher laws, and they're meant to keep them, to keep them clean and keep them from, um, from dying. They're, you know, like washing your hands and things, things like that. And then some of them are actually traditions and, and festivals that they need to celebrate to give them a culture. You need to think about this. They had lived in Egypt for over 300 years. They didn't have their own identity. They, they, they thought like Egyptians. They ate like Egyptians. They looked like Egyptians. They walked like Egyptians. Okay, that's the thing. If you're from the 80s, you're welcome. So here's the deal. They, they were Egyptian in everything. And God was giving them a special identity. If you've ever majored in sociology, you know exactly what that is. It creates an identity in you when you create new traditions and things like that. But then God also gave these moral laws. And 
He gave them to Moses, and Moses gave them to the 12 tribes. And what the 12 tribes did, just like you and I do, is whenever a law or a rule is made, think about when you have a rule in your house, what's the first thing your kids try to do? Yeah, get around it. They don't, you know, they may not absolutely break it, but they're going to try and get around it. They're going to find ways around it, twist your words, do whatever. When you go to work, you do the same thing. Or maybe you're not a rule breaker and you're more, you just want more clarity on it. So Moses comes down and he gives the law and they're like, um, Mr. Moses, excuse me, I have a question. It says here that we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. It's holy unto the Lord. Could you please define work for me? Um, yeah, don't work. Well, what exactly does that look like? Does that mean I can clean the house, but I can't clean the outside? Don't work. Does that mean, well, well what if I want to walk to my aunt's house and she's all the way across town? Is that work considered walking across the way or do I need to ride on a horse? And, and, the, and what happened is they had to create a thing called the Mishnah. And it's an interpretation of the law. And it's about 10 times thicker than the whole Bible. So you could define what work is. And there were some of the rabbis, they had crazy examples of how you could not work. You know, it was determined by all the rabbis at Jesus' time. You couldn't walk more than 1,500 yards on the Sabbath because that would be considered working. So therefore, one of the rabbis or someone, some smart Jew said, I got it. On Friday night before the Sabbath, if you tie a rope to your house and you tie it to someone else's house, and they tie it to someone else's house, and they tie it to someone else's house, as long as your hand is on the rope, you are technically at your house, and you never left your house. Therefore, you have not worked, you have not sinned. Good job, you're holy. Now, we laugh at that, but we do the same kind of garbage with God all the time, too. And see, so Moses gives this law to the Jews, and they screw it up. So then Jesus comes, think about this, Jesus comes, what ethnicity is Jesus? He's not Dutch. Some of you Dutch people, you're like, oh, I'm from Dutch. Isn't that weird? Um, he's not. He's Jewish. And he, he goes up on a hill in Galilee, takes 12 Jewish disciples on the hill, and he begins to teach the law. He didn't say, you know, that was the old law. I'm giving you a new law. He didn't say that, as a matter of fact. He just... He, he got to the heart of it because what had happened is the Jews do what Christians do, do what humans do. We, took, we take God's laws and we try and lessen them as much as possible so we can step over them and do what we want. And that's what the Jews had done with God's law. And Jesus starts expounding on it and he gets to the heart of the law. He says, you've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. See, we take the bar and we put it down here, but Jesus said, listen, sin always starts here. And see, what Jesus was trying to do in this um, Sermon on the Mount that we've been talking about is he was trying to show the disciples, he was trying to show us that you can't obey the law, no matter how hard you try. See, the law was like a mirror. And um, how many of you... Wouldn't it be awesome if there were no mirrors in this world, no pictures, no reflections? Wouldn't we all feel better about ourselves? I know I went camping once for like two weeks. I didn't look at my reflection for two weeks. I was starting to really have a good self-esteem. Then I got in the car, you know, turned it on, looked in my rearview mirror, and went, ah! You know, it's just like, what happened to you? 
kind of thing. The law was meant like a mirror to show you how dirty your face was, that you couldn't obey God. And when Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it, what he was saying is, I'm going to live it out perfectly for you because you can't. See, Paul was a Jew, and he was a Jew of all Jews, and he followed all the rules, probably better than everyone else. And when he became a follower of Jesus, he realized there was a problem. See, when the Jews became followers of Jesus, Christianity wasn't like a separate religion. It was just part of Judaism. It was a Jewish faith. And, and, and then all of a sudden, all these Gentiles started becoming believers in Jesus. And the Jewish believers are like, whoa, 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 that's awesome that they're becoming believers in, in our Messiah. He is our Messiah. But here's the deal. If you're going to become a believer in our Messiah, you're going to start acting like us. You better get the yarmulke. You better get the curls. You better get circumcised. You stop eating that pork. You, you know, on and on and on. And the funny part is, when Jews or when non-Jews, Gentiles, would come to faith in, in God before Jesus, the Jews never made them do any of that. That was never a practice of theirs. They didn't. So Paul comes along, and he sees this happening to these poor Gentile Christians. And do we have any Gentiles in the house today? Show hands. Whoop, whoop, represent Gentiles. Do we have, is there anyone Jewish in the room? All right, we have a couple of you guys. Way to go. So here's the deal. Here's what I want you to understand. When he wrote this, He was writing to a church that was struggling with this very issue. And he said this in Galatians 5. He said, so I say, walk by the Spirit. And you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. He was talking about the law and sin and all that. And he said, just, hey, walk by the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit of God guide you. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. This is what he was saying to the Gentiles. He was saying, listen, the law is great. Jesus came. He fulfilled it. He did it perfectly for you so that you Gentiles are not led by that. You don't have to live by that law. You should revere it. You should love it. You should know that it's what pointed you to Christ eventually. But you don't live by that anymore. Because here's what happens. When you become a follower of Jesus, the Bible says this, that the Holy Spirit of God begins to dwell in you. And it testifies with his word right here. And see, sometimes people think the Holy Spirit's speaking to them and it goes against God's word. And here's what I want you to know. That's not the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will never go against God's word. If you get an inkling, something in your conscience, something tells you something that's contrary to God's word, know this, it's not the Holy Spirit. It might be bad sushi. It might be the devil. I can't tell. But it'll always coincide with God's word. That's why when someone says, oh, God told me I need to leave my family for this new family. No, he didn't. Shut up. You're just trying to get an upgrade. And you're going to get a downgrade in the long run. So here's the deal. The whole scripture, though, is about Jesus. And see, it leads me to point number three, if you have your outline. Number three is this. The function of the Bible is not just to be believed and enjoyed, but to come into the center of your life and change you. 
I could get up here every week and give you fun facts about the Bible, stuff you didn't know, stuff about the original languages or the culture and things like that. And those things are good. But I need you to under, understand something. They're, um, they're just fun facts. And unless you apply the Bible and you, may, you, you work to make what God has said part of the center of your life, it will do you no good. As a matter of fact, I believe this about myself. I've learned enough about the Bible and enough about God to last the rest of my life. I probably should spend the rest of my life trying to obey all the stuff I learned is the truth of the matter. And, and, and this, is, this is what I'm talking about. And this is why Jesus says this. He said, um, well, well, actually, before I, before I read it, I, I want you to understand something. Uh, belief in the Bible in our culture has waned over the last 50 years. We know that. Um, you can see it. It's just kind of how it is. And uh, Gallup in 2014 did a study of um, belief in the Bible. And this is what they found, okay? 28% of Americans believe that the Bible is the actual word of God and it should be taken literally. 28%. That's down a lot, actually. In the late 70s, it was, in, it was a, close to 50% is where, where it was at. It was uh, actually close to 40%, forgive me. But then it says... Um, it reached a low in 2009. That was uh, at 27%. So, you know, we're up 1%. So pat yourself on the back. Good job. So here's the deal. But about half of Americans continue to say that the Bible is the inspired word of God, but not to be taken literally. So that's a combined 75%. So here's, here's what I want you to understand, though. Sometimes um, surveys can be a little deceptive. And here's what I want you to understand. Um, I believe this book literally, okay, every word of it. And let me explain to you what I mean by literal, though, because sometimes people um, that don't really read the Bible and don't know a lot about the Bible, they, they think that that statement is ludicrous. And then some people that really believe the Bible, sometimes they haven't really thought of how you are supposed to read the Bible and what I mean by literally taking the Bible. See, inside the Scripture, how many of you have ever read something in the Bible and you're like, man, what does that mean? Me too. Okay, still to this day, um, there, there's places where I'm like, huh, I don't know what that is. And, um, but inside every verse of the Bible is a jewel, a piece of gold, a piece of silver. And, but what happens, though, is some of those harder passages, they get wrapped up that we can't really see the gold. We can't find the gold in it. And there's, there's language barriers. You know, we don't speak Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic. There's cultural barriers. We're 21st century Americans. We can't, you know, we, we don't understand first century Palestinian or Jewish culture. Um, there's there, there's uh, spiritual barriers. There's all kinds of different barriers going on. And what happens is when you are at a troubled piece of scripture that you don't understand, that's when you should go to someone that knows it better. Go to a pastor, a friend that knows the Bible better. Go to a commentary, things like that, so that you can get to God's word. Now, when we read the Bible, you should believe it literally, but you also should take into context um, how it was written. The Psalms, here's a great example. There's a literary context to the Psalms. The Psalms are poetry. They were songs, many of them written by David, right? So when Psalms says, God is a rock, God is my rock, do we literally believe that Dwayne Johnson is God? No, that's stupid. Do we literally believe the thing from Marvel Comics, the orange guy, is God? No. We read that and we know it's a metaphor that God is my rock. That's why Jesus later in the scripture says, whoever believes these things 
and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock, right? There, there's a metaphor going on there, and any thinking person with a brain gets that. What I, what I hate, though, is there's people out there that don't believe the Bible, and they'll say, oh, you people that take the Bible literally, you don't think. No, the truth of the matter is you haven't read the Bible, and you, and you don't understand the context in which it's in. See, In our culture, yeah, belief in the Bible is waning, but I'm not worried about it because here's what I know. Cultures rise, cultures fall. Beliefs rise, beliefs fall. God's word stands forever. There'll be people that will criticize God's word. They'll say they'll disprove God's word, and you know what will happen to them? They'll die. And do you know what will still be here? God's word. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. So, in Amos 8.11, it says this, because I, I think this really fits our culture right now, fits the world we live in. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. See, our culture, everyone thought, oh, it's going to be, as we get more wealthy and more educated, we're going to become more and more secular and belief in God and spirituality will go away. But here's the truth of the matter. In our culture, spirituality is at an all-time high. People didn't just become like atheists or agnostic. People are very spiritual. They go, you know, we... we we look in all the wrong places, though. The thing is, we're looking for the, for the words of God. We're looking for a touch from God. We're looking for some kind of spirituality, but we're not looking in the right place. We're looking other than God and his word. And you see it everywhere. And, you know, I, I, I think it's interesting because we were made to hear from God. We were made to talk to God. It's, it's been in all human cultures since the beginning, since we've been able to record history. Humans have always wanted to hear a word from God. It's been in all of our stories. It's even in our modern stories. Think about it. You know, we as humans can't bear the thought that we're the only speaking creatures on the planet. Think about all the movies that are out right now. In, in, in any movie, an animal will talk to, you, to, to a human, and you're like, oh, it's cute. It's a chipmunk talking to them. They're singing songs from the 70s. Alvin Simon Theater, cool. And, and we have no problem with animals talking in movies. We have no problem with the trees talking. We have no problem with spirits talking to us, plants talking to us, the mountains talking to us, aliens from another planet talking to us. Like We're all good with that. You know why? Because we believe deep to our core that we're not the only voice in this universe. And what if, what if there is no God? You very well could have the only voice in the universe. And your voice goes out, but here's what I know. One day, if you don't believe in God, that's fine. Your voice will go away. You'll die. And you may be remembered for a generation, and after that, your voice is gone for eternity forever. You're dead and you're forgotten. I'm just here to encourage you. So, so here's the thing. Yeah, go be the church, right? So here's the, here's the thing. Are our souls in this spiritual solitary confinement? 
Or is there another one in the universe who has spoken and is speaking to us? See, I believe it's God. In Acts chapter 15, I was reading this this week, and I just I thought it was brilliant. See, Paul, he had told the Gentiles, listen, you know, you need to live by the Spirit. The Spirit is the new law for you guys. The, the, the customs and all that, that's for the Jews. That's not for you. Peter had, had the same message. Peter preached the gospel, and thousands of Gentiles got saved. And then they didn't know what to do with all of them. They're like, oh, you need to start acting Jewish. And they were having the same problem in Jerusalem that Paul was having in Galatia and Corinth and all, all that. And Peter... Um, got up and he said this, and I want to read you just his little speech in Acts chapter 15, verse 7 through 11. He says, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, right? We just talked about what the Sermon on the Mount is. Jesus getting to our hearts. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving his Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, why are you making them try and follow rules we can't even follow? Is what he's saying to them. Some of us as parents probably could take that advice too, right? Don't do that, even though I do. He says, no, verse 11. We believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved, just as they are. See, even Peter, a good Jew, knew that following every rule in the Bible is impossible. He said, even, we believe that, that it, it's not following the rules, it's grace. We have, to, we have to receive God's grace just like they do. And that's the truth of the matter. If you grew up in a church where they taught you if you didn't obey this thing, you were going to hell. If you didn't follow the rules, if you, if you drank, smoked, or chewed and ran with people that do, you're going to hell. Here's what I, I want you to know. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is this, that anyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done in your life, no matter where you've been, anyone is able to get God's grace freely. You just have to admit your sin. And lay down your way and take up his. It's free. And the truth of the matter is, you're, you, you may not act better. But the good news is this. Jesus did it for you. He was perfect for you. So this morning, some of you, you've been far from God for a long time. And at one point in your life, you believed in Jesus, but it's been a a tough road back and whatever your story is, whether it was you had a tough time in church or someone hurt you in church or you hurt other people or you, you did something you thought that couldn't be forgiven and here's what I want you to know. The gospel tells you that your sin is as far as the east is from the west and you may have left God but Jesus never left you and he loves you to death and he's welcoming you home today if you would come home to him. For some of you though, here's what I want you to understand. For some of you, 
Jesus has just always been an abstract concept. Maybe you didn't believe in him. Maybe you did. Maybe you were like, oh, I believe in Jesus because that's how I grew up, going to church. I'm a Christian. But it wasn't until this moment you realized just, just how real God is and how real Jesus is and that he's come to, to forgive you of your sins. And Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone listens, I will come in. And he'll come in your life and forgive you of your sins. And maybe today you're the, you're the person, you're, you know, God is calling you and he's saying, today's the day. I was reading in Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, it talks about, um, Paul was saying, don't delay coming to God. Don't say, oh, let's wait till next year. Let's wait till later. I gotta have my fun now. Today is the day of salvation. June 4th, 2017 is your day that God's called you into a whole new being, a whole new life, a whole new way, and you can do that. Don't delay it. This, this last week, Pastor Dave did a funeral, and um, typically, if, if you die, you, you want Pastor Dave to do your funeral because he's super good at it. Steve and I are just okay at it. And Pastor Dave went over to the family's house, and he began to talk to them, and they told the story of their, the, this man, and um, every week he came to church since 2013. He was here all the time sat in the back row, and supposedly the back row is the closest to the presence of God because you guys all fight over the back row back there. Anyway, so here's, here's the deal. Sat back there every week, heard the gospel every week, kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. He, he got stage four lung cancer. His last Sunday at Clovis Hills, he said, I want Jesus. And he raised his hand and he accepted Jesus into his heart. And he walked out those doors, and for the first time in his life, he was being the church. And then later, stepped right into eternity with Jesus. Today's the day of salvation. Don't put it off. The life God has for you is so much better than the life you've planned for yourself. Believe me on that one. Let's pray.